sons and hello brothers. It's Ken Pierpont here, and it's time again for stuff I want to say, mostly to men. In today's podcast, we're in a series of of lessons, a series of um, podcasts where I'm sharing treasures from my heart, uh, things that are valuable to me because they're truths from Scripture that I have experienced in my life. And today, I, I want to give you three more. This is a third in that series. Each has had, I think, three treasures from my heart. So this is a third in that series, and, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. But I want to insert something. I'm going to have just a bit of conversation first, a bit of uh, comment first about what's happened in our world. As I record this, it's earlier in the morning on October 12th. Thursday, October 12th, 2023, and last weekend there was a hor- there were horrific war crimes committed against Israel, and every thoughtful human being should be processing what's happening there, and especially those who are Christians. I don't know what your views of the future are. We all probably vary just a little bit. There are certain things that I am certain of. The scriptures speak with certainty about the physical return of Jesus to the earth one day. And I'm a convinced premillennialist, so I believe he'll return and there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ upon the earth. And I believe that God still has promises that he's going to keep to Israel as a nation Even though Israel is regathered primarily in the land in unbelief right now, one day there will be circumstances that and and actions on God's part to bring many to Christ in Israel, many Jews to Christ as Messiah. And I do believe that the 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 people are gonna ask questions about What's happening in the Middle East is common, I think, for Christians who have thought about Israel's return to the land in 1948 after the dispersion. They, they uh, see it as a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and you have to see that the scriptures teach that in the, in the time and the end, the focus of the world will be on the, Israel and upon the Middle East, and they will have committed enemies that that despise them and want to destroy them. And Satan, read Revelation 12, wants to destroy Israel and hates Israel, hates God's people, Israel. This does not mean that everything is Jewish people have ever done or the Jewish state has ever done is just or right or fair. That doesn't mean there haven't been uh, wrongs committed uh, on on both the sides, there there have been historically. This is not something that thoughtful people should ever deny. But it does tell you the trajectory of history. What am I getting at when somebody asks the question, is what's happening in the Middle East today a fulfillment of Bible prophecy? In general, yes, it is in this sense. It, it, the, that the scriptures are clear that events would unfold in the end time that focused the attention of the world on the Middle East. And even though there was no nation of Israel from, say, AD 70 to May of 1948, 
and in Jewish people were in the dysphoria, were dispersed around the world without a homeland, they have regathered in the scriptures, say they would, and they have had remarkable success. They've had remarkable, uh, they've been attacked. And every time they're attacked, they uh, come out on the advantage eventually. And and so um, there's that. You that's not a, a speci- necessarily the, the the atrocities that were committed last Saturday were not necessarily specifically predicted in Scripture. No, but the general thing that's happening there is can really only be explained with the Bible. And bi- students and teachers of Bible prophecy often say that Israel is God's super sign. If you're looking for a sign of the truth and reality of the Bible and the literal fulfillment of Bible prophecy, just look at the regathering of Israel in the land. And again, these are not, there are believers among them in Messiah, Jesus, but many, many are secular, many are unbelievers and, um, and not necessarily godly people at all. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that God's not at work because God, God often uses ungodly people doing ungodly things and weaves those dark things into his overriding good purposes for the good of man and the glory of God, not in that order. And so, first of all, a Christian should, when he sees what's happening, a man should recognize when he sees what's happening, this is time for me to remind the people in my care that the Bible is true, that the Bible is true and can be trusted in all things. This is one thing. The second thing is, obviously, this is there's an urgency when you see that the, the brevity of life and how, how fragile life is and how dark and evil human beings can be. It's a reminder to a man, a man must withstand evil and be prepared to withstand evil. But that's not his primary, his primary thing is not to physically resist evil, even though there is a role there. The, he, Jesus said, if you're going to spoil the house, you have to bind the strong man first. He assumed a man would defend the safety of his home to, with all of his ability. <clears throat> and then, and yet, the more important thing is that he's pointing the, those in his care to Christ. Do, w- will they live with Christ in eternity forever? Are they f- in Christ? Does he know the state of their souls? That's your job, men, to see to it that you are in the right place with God, that you're born again, and that you're walking with the Lord, and that you know the spiritual state of your loved ones. And if they're walking with the Lord and you pray earnestly and you work diligently and you're creative and thoughtful and loving and influential in order to influence the people around you to receive Christ and to walk with him, nothing is more important. This is So Satan will do all kinds of dark and filthy, ugly things to distract Christians from the commission that Jesus gave us, the great commission to go into all the world. This would mean, this, and the Bible is so clear, this is Jew and Gentile over and over in the New Testament, Jew and Gentile. And the purpose of God's blessing on the Jews is that the Jews would bring Messiah, they would bring the scriptures, and, and that eventually others would come to know Christ. So the purpose of Israel in God's plan is to be a blessing to all the nations 
And we must remember that Jesus told us to love our enemies, and when we're attacked, we have an opportunity to love our enemies. We have an opportunity to do good to our enemies. We have an opportunity to pray for our enemies. And this doesn't mean that we cannot defend ourselves or flee. It doesn't mean uh, that we, we don't have any recourse uh, against uh, the, to protect one another, to protect the innocents. But Christians who are followers of Jesus also should have a tender heart toward those who are those who are innocent and suffering on either side, Jew or Gentile, Jew or non-Jew. And so these are some things. There's an urgency, and we know that Christ is going to return. If you believe that the rapture happens seven years before the return of Christ in power and great glory, you're pre, you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, and in, 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 in some cases, that makes sense because God deals with the church, which came up as a mystery. And much of the New Testament talks about the church coming up as a mystery. In other words, the inclusion of the Gentiles among God's people in the church is a, it was a mystery that wasn't revealed before. And so you don't have ink on that in the scriptures until it's revealed. And the things associated with the church would not be revealed in the same direct way. And therefore, how... God takes the church out of the world wouldn't have been revealed in the same way. So some believe, and I'm sometimes inclined to believe, that the, that the rapture happens before the tribulation and the great tribulation, which are a time of Jacob's trouble. But, but, but some believe, and, and I understand this, when you compare the Olivet Discourse there in Matthew, where Jesus was answering the questions of his disciples about when he would return. If you compare that material to the material in Second Thessalonians, which some say is, is uh, obviously parts that are describing a rapture, when you see that it, and you compare them carefully together, a very strong case can be made that the rapture and the second coming happen right at the same time, that the rapture happens just as a part of the return of Christ in power and great glory. And I would suggest that if you're interested in reading some very a very helpful treatment of that, you might and you can download it free or you can buy a copy. You might take a look at John Piper's new book, Come, Lord Jesus, Meditations on the Second Coming of Christ, and in particular, that you carefully study um, the material where he answers those questions um, about the, the time of Christ's return, the timing of his return, and especially when he compares. In chapter 15, it's page number 203, chapter 16, chapter 17, those particular chapters would, would be chapters that would be helpful for you to study and to, to read. And here's why I'm saying what I'm saying. If the rapture is the next thing, obviously there are no signs, there would be no signs attached to that if the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation. And so it's just prepare for any moment rapture of the church. And But if the rapture of the church and the second coming are at the same time, that they would be at the end of the tribulation, then the thing to be looking for is the rise of the man of sin, or the revelation, the revealing of the man of sin, 
Second Corinthians talks about that, of course. Obviously, Jesus talked about that in, in the Olivet Discourse, and obviously it's in the book of Revelation. And, and um, this would be a person, and, he, and this is fascinating, who is supernaturally endowed to broker peace in the Middle East. Now, does, that have the, does that have a fascinating ring to it? The entire world's attention right now, and has been for quite some time, is riveted on, can anyone, does anyone have a solution in the Middle East? Can anyone rise up who could unite these terrible battling factions in the Middle East? The world stage is set for the arrival of the man of sin. And, uh, and a- anyway, what does this mean to you? For a, a man who's trying to earn a living, he's trying to uh, take care of his things, he's trying to love a woman and care for his children and guide them uh, spiritually and provide for them financially and protect them physically. What does it mean to us? Well, we should be a man should have an awareness of what's happening in the world. And the best way to have an awareness of what's happening in the world is to have a keen awareness of what the Bible says. And these are things the Bible says. The Bible says the disposition that we ha- we should have toward our enemies. The Bible talks about the legitimacy of defending our, our the innocents. The scriptures, you know, he bears not the sword in vain. Um, the scriptures talk about preparation for the Lord's return and the urgency of helping people see to it that they're prepared to face the judgment of God and meet God and go out into eternity. And so these are things that should occupy us. And when these kinds of things happen in the world, have you noticed that, that if you're a thoughtful person, it, it, it makes you feel like the other things that were so preoccupied your mind really aren't that important. They're really not that significant. And these, maybe this is why the Lord allows these things to happen, so that we would, um, we would um, have a hunger and an appetite and an aptitude for things that are eternal. This is what a man who's aware, who is a factor in spiritual warfare, who is a leader, understands. A man understands that his responsibility is to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. A man understands that he's to study the word of God and to understand what the word says about the world around him. So these are some things. And now it's time for us to kind of transition over into the material that I promised to share, the treasures of of my heart. And this is uh, number three, and uh, the, the scriptures say in James 1, 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Men, this is a passage about anger and about listening and about speaking, and in particular about listening and um it leads me to the first treasure of my heart based on James 1.19. And that is one of the major problems that men have is, is anger with their loved ones. So damaging, so destructive. 
And, and, the, and one of the answers to anger is to be slow to speak and swift to hear. It's those who are slow to speak and swift to hear that are slow to wrath. And remember, the wrath of man is not effective. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It might get people scampering around in fear, but, but overall they'll eventually just resent you. Listen to what Proverbs 18.13 says. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. So a wise man listens and doesn't answer before he carefully listens. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Now there's something to think about. And then there's Proverbs 17.28, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace, When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. You want people to think you're smart? Say less stuff. Isn't that interesting? And so here's the treasure. Let me state it this way. The passage primarily is James 1.19. And here's the treasure. Learn to be a good listener. Listen first. Listen to understand before you talk to be understood. Sometimes the best way to show some people that you love them is to listen deeply. Like you drive through ordering, you say your thing, the person says their thing, you say it back to them until they agree you understand it. That's huge. It's extremely powerful. It's probably important for every man to understand. This is not the first time I've talked about this on the podcast. It won't be the last time because I need it and because you need it. And and little, little children are likely to listen to you And it may not seem like it's important that you listen to them, but when they get older, trust me, if you didn't don't listen carefully, you will wish you had. I once uh, stumbled on a journal that my daughter Heidi had kept, and when she was a young girl, and she married and moved away, and and I was alone in the house and I was tidying up things, stumbled on this journal later. My wife told me she didn't think it was appropriate for me to read it. Excuse me, I get choked up over these things. She didn't think it was appropriate for me to read. I thought, well, you know, if you get married and move away and leave all your junk in my basement, and years pass and your journal's down there, I, I get to read it. It's just, it's just history then. And anyway, here's what I noticed. Nothing scandalous about my girl. She's a sweet young girl who's thinking about things girls think about. And, but I noticed little things that she told her heart in that journal. And I think that in some of them I didn't know. And the impression I had as I sat in the quiet house that day was, I wish I had known that. I wish I had asked more questions. You know, Heidi was quiet. It was hard to get her to re- tell her heart. But but maybe I walked on her lines and talked too much. Maybe I should have probed even further. It would have been that. It wasn't tragic. It wasn't anything big. But it was important if I could have known those things. Gentlemen, if you get a chance, listen to the people that you love. Listening is super powerful. Maybe you heard the story about the guy who wanted to witness. So he went to a coffee house and put up a little sign. And, and he said, I'll buy you a free coffee if you listen to my story. But nobody asked for the free coffee. He couldn't buy coffee for people to get him to listen to his story. So he changed his sign. He said, I'll buy you coffee if you tell me your story. 
Now he had a line of people that prepared to talk because people want to tell their story. Remember this, the people that you love, they want to tell their story. Just like you usually want to tell your story. And so give them the talking stick and don't take it back until you can repeat what they say and they agree you understand it. And that's super important. Now, so that's the first treasure here is learn to be a good listener. Listen first, listen to understand before you talk to be understood. Now, here's a second one. Matthew 20 and verse 28. Matthew 20 and and verse 28. Let's, let's read that passage together. Here's what the passage says. Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is in the context of greatness when when James and John's mother had asked for privileges for her sons uh, in the context of greatness. He said the Son of Man didn't come uh, to be served. The Son of Man came to serve And so here's the treasure based on that and other passages of Scripture and the whole description of who Jesus is and how he so powerfully influenced the world. Here's the treasure stated in a sentence. Don't try to get people to serve you. Serve and help others. Now, even as those words tumble out of my mouth, I feel a pang of conviction. Do you? I think how often I want to be served. I like to be served. I don't know. Maybe I'm worse than you. Here's what it says in Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. This is a treasure when we understand it. And that is our basic disposition should be, who are we here to serve And how are we gifted and equipped and enabled to serve them? What means do we have to serve people? How can we serve people? How can we help other people? Begin with the people nearest to you, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your church, the people at your work. How can you serve them? If Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, came down to earth to serve mere humans, to serve men and women, should and 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 the the, the weakest and the most unlovely and the most broken, the, the lepers and the blind and the lame and, and the poor he came to serve, then his followers also should serve. So here you have two very simple but two extremely powerful things that are treasures of the heart. One is learn to be a good listener and listen until you understand and until the person you're listening to agrees that you understand. And second, don't look for people to serve you, but look for people to serve and help. Now, here's a third, and this is profoundly, profoundly valuable to me. As I stumbled on this truth years ago, literally with a little New Testament, not a little New Testament that's lying, it's in a desk drawer not far from me right now, 
that before the iPhone, I used to carry this little New Testament around in my pocket when I would make pastoral visits or just wanted to read the scriptures, I'd pull it out. And one night by the fire with my heart very heavy, I I opened my Bible and was reading through 2 Corinthians and stumbled on this in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly therefore rather spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. This was in a time, and this is something, this is a bit of testimony from my heart and a little kind of opening of the wound of my heart is that I, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. And it's important to me. And it can border on, no, it can cross the border into idolatry. And this is dangerous. And, um, and so when I'm rejected, so God seems to allow, to arrange, to allow people, even within the church that really ought to accept and love me, to, to sometimes reject me. And so then I have to decide, well, am I here to get him to love me or am I here to love him? And that's why this passage where Paul says, uh, you know, the, he says the, parent, the children don't live for the parents, the parents lay up for the children. And he said, and you're my spiritual children, so I will most gladly, therefore, rather spend and be spent, which points to the cross, doesn't it? Spend and be spent for your souls. The more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. In other words, my job is to love you to death till I die, even if you never love me back. This is very powerful. I think sometimes when we're disappointed or frustrated or angry and we expect it to be treated better, we need to remind ourselves, well, no, wait a minute. Uh, it's not my job. I like, to, I like to say it this way. It's not my job to get you to love me. It's my job to love you. And when I was a kid, I remember going to the lunchroom and looking over at the popular table where all the cool people sat and thinking, man, if you were a, you know, an athlete sitting by all those pretty girls over at the popular table, wouldn't that be the thing? But I was never invited to the popular table. But you know what? When you look around the lunchroom, there's always that kid that nobody wants to eat with, and they're sitting alone. You can walk over and you can sit down by them. Hey, sometimes they're prickly and they're 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 offensive. There's a good reason they're sitting alone, but yet there's somebody that Jesus would go in and love. Um, don't be burdened about people rejecting you. Be burdened. When people reject Jesus, I had an incident that happened to me once when a boy that we had led to a profession of faith and baptized him went away to college, walked away from the Lord. That was grievous to me when I heard about it, but I wasn't surprised. Sometimes that happens. There are four kinds of soil. Sometimes there are apostate false professors. Uh, Sometimes a person is still saved, but they're they're saved. They're genuinely saved. Once you are genuinely saved, you will not be lost. But, but sometimes uh, a person who is genuinely saved backslides. He, he has a season when he or she is not living in obedience to the Lord. I, I think in this boy's case, he, he perhaps was not genuinely saved. Only the Lord knows. But here's the point. I didn't belabor that. It grieved me, and then I kind of moved on. And yet there was a family in the church, and they were kind of a well— uh, they were uh, a family that had been in the church for a while, and they were known and loved by others, and they were active and involved, and they left the church. And I tried to do a follow-up appointment with them, and they, they wouldn't give me an appointment. 
they wouldn't meet with me or avoiding me and that was frustrating to me and so then I thought about that then people begin to tell me that they had told them why they'd left the church and it was it was petty and it was personal they kind of picked on one of my kids and and um that that grieved me a lot as a matter of fact it kind of kept me awake in the night and I was lying awake at night kind of burdened about that and I was thinking about that and it was almost as if the Lord spoke to me in my spirit and said so you know what about this this family left and you stay awake at night but you know they rejected you and it's keeping you awake at night but when this boy rejected me you didn't have any trouble sleeping at night and I realized that sometimes I can be more concerned and more burdened about people rejecting me than I am about them rejecting Jesus. And it reminds me not to look for people to love me, but to look for people to love, and in particular to look for people to love to Christ so that I can introduce them into the love of Christ. Let me give you a fourth one, a fourth one. And this is in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. And Paul here in this context is talking about how an understanding of the cross and of the death of Christ changes everything about how you see people and how you see the world. And, and he said, from, from this point on, to paraphrase the passage, from this point on, I will never look at anyone from a merely human point of view. That's the idea, the para, a paraphrase of that idea. In, once I see the death of Christ for people, I never then look at anyone from a merely human point of view. Now, this is a treasure. <clears throat> so when you look at people, don't just look at the irritating things they do or the irritating things they say or the odd ways they behave or their idiosyncrasies or oddities or irritations or their poor grooming or their or, or whatever. Don't, don't just look at that. Look beneath that. Look beyond that. Ask yourself, do I know their story? I once had a man not too long ago, an acquaintance and I, we realized we had a mutual acquaintance and we both kind of agreed that that guy had some irritating idiosyncrasies. Maybe there was some sin in the way that we talked about him and we, we and this fella and we do well, this and that and and we kind of agreed that he wasn't our favorite person, the person that we'd always want to be around, that we'd seen these these uh, fa- foibles in him, these these errors in him, these weaknesses in him. And then one day we were talking and he just said you know, um, he said a family member knew him and knew something about him, knew a little bit more about his backstory. He said, you know, this is true about him. And, they, and he told me a little bit about his backstory. The moment that I heard that, the irritation I had for him just lifted. And there, there was compassion that ran in. And and so then I began to think, wait a minute, I never thought about what what made him this way? What factors contribute him to have these qualities that we really don't like? And I I want to suggest to you that it's don't don't uh, try to see people. Don't, don't, try to see, don't look at people from a merely human point of view, but try to see people the way Jesus sees people, 
And, and here's, a, here's a helpful follow-up on that. In Matthew 25, in verse 46, it says, And these, this is talking about the judgment, the final judgment, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so think about this. Ask these questions. Here are three questions to ask. Ask the, the question about a person that might irritate you. What has their past been like? What has their past been like? Sometimes just an understanding of what they've been through will give you compassion and help you see them the way Jesus sees them. And then the second thing to ask yourself is what's going on inside them right now? What's happening right now that's not clear to the naked eye? <laughs> what's happening within them? What is God doing in them? And how, what are they thinking? It's the second thing to ask about a person. And then finally, and that's where Matthew 25, 46 talks about, you know, ultimate judgment. And that is, what will their future be like? You know, especially if nothing changes. If they're a believer, you want to think, well, this is a person I'm going to spend eternity with. So certainly I should have a place for them in my heart. If they're an unbeliever, then it should burden you that they're they're on their way to eternity without Christ, separated from Christ, from hope, from help, from love, from joy, from pleasure forever. And so these are things that should inform how we see people. We should see people the way Jesus sees people. So there they are. Do you want me to review those four? Number one, James 1.19, learn to be a good listener. Listen first, listen to understand before you talk to be understood. That's powerful. Number two, Matthew 20, 28 and Mark 10, 45. Don't try to get people to serve you, but serve and help them. Number three, 2 Corinthians 12, 5. Don't look for people to love you, but look for people to love. And number four, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Try to see people the way Jesus sees people. That, those are some powerful treasures. Can you see why I would call those treasures of my heart? Because these are the kinds of things that would change the way a man is and the way a man operates and, and how he's oriented in his world. Think about the town where you live, the church where you are, the business where you work, the people around you. Imagine a person that has these qualities, that sees life in these ways. Imagine the blessing that they could be. And the, and the Lord determines the scale. Maybe it's just to a few. But you don't know. God may multiply your influence. And and if he chooses to do that, he'll strengthen you to do that. And perhaps, and, and he can determine the scale of your influence. But you should determine to seek him, gentlemen, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're not sure you know Christ, call me, 517 262 3260. Just call my cell phone. That's my cell phone. 517-262-3260. I'll explain to you how you can know for sure that you're right with God, your sins are forgiven, and you have eternal life. The Bible's clear about it. I'll show you. If you're already a believer and you're not walking with the Lord, there are just things in your life you know aren't right. Stop now. Pull over, pull the truck over to the side of the road and just spend some time agreeing with God about what he's put on your heart. And ask him for his help. Ask him for his mercy. Perhaps have a trusted person that you can bring in. The, the darkest and mo the most difficult sin can yield when you turn on the lights. It's like the cockroaches of sin run for cover. 
It might be good to get with your pastor or with a, with a really trusted godly friend and just confess your sin to them. Uh, you certainly must confess your sin to those you sinned against and seek their forgiveness. But, but you, there, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You need no priest to go between you and God. And yet the Bible says in James, confess your faults one to another. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very helpful to have to kind of create a gospel culture with somebody else and be open with them about what you're struggling with, man. And let me pray with you right now that God will help you to develop your own, to gather your own treasures in your heart. Father in heaven, thank you for the relationship that you've given to the men who listen to this podcast with the teaching that we give help. I pray that it would be useful for them and that they would not just have it in their head, but they would experience it in their life and it would become a pattern of life and health for them. And uh, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. And thank you for your son, our savior, Jesus. We, we love you and we wish to love you more. Teach us, I pray to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to guide others in doing the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.